0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Romans. As I mentioned before our time of praise and worship, we'll be concluding our study this morning in Romans. And so if you'd like in your Bibles, you can turn there to Romans chapter 16. And uh, we're now, of course, fully in the holiday season, whether you like it or not, we're there. The countdown to Christmas has begun. As I mentioned, next week, the ladies have their Christmas gathering. And for our Sunday morning messages, we'll shift gears a bit for the next three Sundays and have a little bit more of a traditional uh, holiday message as we celebrate the season of Advent. But for this morning, for today, it's time for us to bring this study of Romans to a close. And as is often the case, I always appreciate how the Lord does this. I find that today it is a fitting Sunday for this particular message here on this Thanksgiving weekend. There are many of you who have spent time with other people over this holiday. Uh, those you love, you've given thanks uh, to God for ways in which he's worked in your life. That's, that is the holiday. Really, that's what Thanksgiving is to be about. And here as we come into Romans 16, really it's, it's love for people and praise for God, thanksgiving to God that Paul draws our attention to. And so it's a fitting passage here for us to consider as he closes out this letter. And as he does, I think it's also important for us to do a little bit of quick review on where we've been in our study of Romans. You know, Romans is so full of theology, and uh, it can really be a, a pretty heavy book, a difficult one at times to understand. And so as we've considered it over a lengthy period of time, it can be easy to forget what Paul has by the Spirit led us through as we've made our way on this journey. And so let's go ahead, before we jump into verse one of chapter 16, let's just do a little bit of of review. Of course, we began our study as we would in chapter one, and it's there in the preceding three chapters that we considered our need for the gospel. Because of our sinful condition. Paul makes this clear. He establishes the foundation at the beginning of this letter. In Romans 3.23, he states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's to be understood here foundationally in Romans. But praise God, we don't stay there. We don't just remain in that in that place. He, he continues on. We progress into chapters 4 and 5 where we considered the righteousness that's accounted to those who believe in Jesus by faith. Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. And from there then, in chapters 6 through 8, we learn more about sin's effects and our inability to do anything about it. We learned of the nature and purpose of the law The freedom in Christ that we have and and how through him, as, as Paul starts to draw our attention to in the latter part of Romans 8, that we serve a God who is able to work all things in our life together for good to those who love him. That he's working supernaturally to make us more like him. Amen? And then in chapters 9 through 11, we learn of God's working throughout history, specifically the lasting covenant. That he has with his people Israel. And, and all of these doctrinal and theological truths that Paul declares. Begin to, to cause him to, to exalt the Lord. To give him praise. Paul can't help himself. He can't help but praise God as he considers all these wonderful truths. And, and then it's there at the end of chapter 11. That Paul begins to transition. And he brings us into this pivotal moment in the book of Romans. Where Paul begins focusing on the practical application of life in Christ, urging believers as he begins in Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2 to, to consider God's mercy, to view what it is that God has done. And, and as a result of that, to present our bodies at living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, noting that that's our reasonable service. It should be our logical conclusion based on what he's done challenging us then to to not be conformed any longer to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may be able to uh, against what may seem entirely just strange and, and against all odds that we would be able to prove in our own lives what is good and acceptable in that perfect will of God. You see, in a perfectly logical argument, Paul lays before us the common human condition and our fundamental problem. He highlights the grace and the mercy of God and and as he displays this to us, he brings us to a place where where we can't help but view such favor and to respond to it. And so then in the last four chapters of this letter, he he helps us to see what our response should be. That if in fact we are to throw our bodies on on the altar to say, Lord, my life is yours. It's not my own. Well, what does that look like? And so from exercising our God-given gifts for His glory and the benefit of the body of Christ, to submitting to those who are in authority, to loving others and and loving God, to considering those who are weaker in the faith, bearing burdens, pursuing unity amongst the body. All of this is, as we've considered, it, it, it helps, it contributes to maintaining the kind of fellowship, the kind of intimacy with God and one another that is known only amongst the body of Christ. I'm here to tell you this morning, and many of you, hopefully all of you know this, that what happens here in this place amongst the gathering of the body of Christ is unique to the body of Christ. You don't have this relationship. You don't know such intimacy elsewhere in the world. It's only for the church. And, and over these last few weeks, specifically, we've considered these things. This koinonia, this intimate fellowship. We've looked at the essentials for maintaining unity in a diverse church. We've looked at the characteristics of a missionary heart. And now, as we look to Romans 16 and the close of the letter, I think many people see a shift here at this point. They, they notice here that chapter 16 sounds a bit different than the rest of the letter. Paul is no longer elaborating on deep doctrinal instruction. No more lofty theological truths. And so in many ways, this is true. Chapter 16 reads a bit differently than the rest of the book. But here in this last chapter, what could easily be dismissed as simply Paul's closing farewell, just various personal greetings, a list of people, what I would submit to you is that this is really the heart of it all. It's really the culmination of the letter. The, the, the letter as a whole, the truths declared in it, the instruction found in it, none of it really matters or is even necessary without the church and the people that he's writing it to. Without the people, without brothers and sisters in Christ, without your friends. Pastor Jimmy often shares on Sunday mornings that, that this building isn't anything special. It only becomes the church when we enter into it. And that's what's happening here in this letter is now Paul's bringing attention to the church, to the actual people that he was considering that were on his heart as he wrote this letter. Folks, what we see here in this final chapter is threefold. One, we'll see the significance that is the diversity and unity of the body of Christ. The significance that is the diversity and unity of the body of Christ. Secondly, we'll see the importance of protecting that unity. And three, we'll see and come to understand who it is that establishes the foundation for it all. Through the next 24 verses, really the majority of this chapter, as I've alluded to, you could easily just see a list of names, a closing salutation, a a fond farewell. But what we ultimately see here is community. What we see here is the fellowship that Paul has been advocating for. Let's just do this for a moment. Consider here this morning the diversity that exists just within this room here today. We don't have the time to do it. It would be an interesting thing, no doubt, if we did, to give everyone the chance to share at length about their backgrounds, where they've come from, what they've seen, what they've experienced, experiences in your life that have played a key role in making you who you are today. Consider the different backgrounds, what your life has been marked by, Consider elements of of ethnic differences and cultural differences. Even differences in professions and socioeconomic distinctions. All of these different things play a role in making this a very diverse group of diverse gathering. And of course, there's some very important ones to consider here this morning, such as Clemson or Carolina. Nothing, huh? Nothing? That's it. We're just not going to say anything, right? Okay. Michigan? Ohio State, I got a few, all right. It only took a decade, but we got them, all right. I tease a little bit here as I mention these rivalries, but it's true. These are all the different things that that make people who they are. And in many cases, whether it's the ethnic differences or even, sadly, uh, a sports affiliation, these differences can often be polarizing. Yet here we are gathered together this morning why despite differences amongst us there is something stronger that unites us and it's supernatural we've considered it for several weeks now it's found clearly in that high priestly prayer of our lord and savior jesus christ is recorded in john 17 as he prays specifically for his church that we would be one That we would be unified just as he and the Father are one. And you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. That blows my mind. I don't even comprehend how exactly that that happens. That we could experience oneness the way that he is one with the Father. But yet that's what he desires for his church. And it's that truth that puts us here right now. There's no other reason for all of us to come together. I mean, I like you guys. But come on, where do we see that in life? Nowhere. But here, C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Four Loves. He says this of friendship. He writes, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what? You too? I thought that no one but myself. You see what he's saying here is friendship is born out of a common bond. And what Paul highlights in the passage before us is the sweetness of friendship that's known by the bond of Christ. And as we consider these people, these real people, I think we learn some things about what this bond can produce. There's 33 people that he mentions in this chapter. 33. 24 of them are in Rome. He's writing to them. The remainder are with him in Corinth. There's upwards of nine or 10 women that are included. In the names that he mentions. I say nine or ten. Because there's some debate over some of the names. Is, it a, is this a woman? Is it a man? Of the 33. Some are Greek. Some are Jews. Some are slaves. And some are free. Some were rich. And some were poor. Some had political. Even royal ties. Others with no ties at all. Yet all of them friends. All of them family. All of them One. As Paul would write in Galatians, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so here as we look at this chapter, we get a real picture of this. People from all different places coming together and saying, we're family. And so in chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2, Paul begins saying, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, we won't cover every name in detail today. I'll elaborate more on some than others and, and certainly will do so for this one. Phoebe. She's the first one listed. She was a helper to Paul, a servant she was the one who probably delivered this letter. She took it from Corinth to the church in Rome. She was a person of means. The simple fact that she was able to travel suggests that. She was a woman who may have had a successful business. And again, she was a servant in the church. Now, this, now some say this word servant, which is translated as deacon or deaconess, that here we have evidence for her holding a specific position within the church. And I won't get into that today because in order to fully understand that there's a lot of layers that we would need to consider. Beyond that, I would focus on the more important matter, that here she had influence, she had value in the church, regardless of what role she may or may not have filled in the church. And even when we consider culturally here at this time, that the first person he mentions is a woman, And then he talks about the influence she had in this early church. I think this serves, especially as Paul continues to mention different women throughout his farewell greeting here, is that it serves to right a wrong that has often been perpetrated within the church. And that is that the Bible does not esteem women. It couldn't be more the opposite. That the word of God and even Jesus himself esteems women highly. That women were influential in the early church. Served very specific roles and purposes. Had value, had influence. And Phoebe was one of them. Moreover, the instruction here. And we get a sense then of an, of a responsibility of a fellowship who's receiving someone is that the instruction was to do just that. Receive her, welcome her in, make her feel at home, make her feel welcome. And this is all of our jobs still today. One of the testimonies that I love the most about this particular fellowship, and I heard it just weeks ago in our most recent uh, newcomer's luncheon, is the way in which people feel when they come to this fellowship. That when they walk through the door, so many people have felt like, man, I'm home. People welcomed me. They greeted me. Guys, we need to continue to do that. I pray that that would be a distinctive of this particular fellowship that would would remain until Jesus comes back. That we would always be a fellowship known for welcoming and receiving people. And we need to be disciplined in that. To not let that fade. To never lose that. Let's go to great lengths to protect that. And so Phoebe was an influential woman here, someone who was dear to Paul and a servant in the church. He continues here in verses three through five, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila, they were fellow tent makers Paul met them uh, when he first came to Corinth, and it seems at this point that they had moved to this area in Rome. Paul probably evangelized to them as they worked together, and so he was able most likely to lead them to the Lord. And here we have a husband and wife team. They were serving the Lord together. And apparently they were gifted in hospitality as they were hosting gatherings in their home. We know that characteristic of the early church was to meet in homes. This wasn't always the case. We see evidence of other times when they met in larger public buildings if available to them. It was a matter of the body of Christ gathering together. And here Priscilla and Aquila said, come on in. Again, these are, these are distinctives of the church. These are, these are elements of the, of the blessed unity of the church. Moreover here, Paul recognizes that they risked much for him. They stuck their necks out. They put their lives on the line. And so indeed, they embodied the sacrificial love that we're to have for one another in the church. As we look at each of these individuals, we should should be willing to ask ourselves, "Do, do I know people like that in the body of Christ today? Is that me? Is this a way in which I can love and serve other people? Do you have somebody who would lay it all on the line for you? Paul continues, greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. What what does this mean? Well, this this is an individual who Paul led to the Lord. This was likely the first person in this area of Achaia that Paul was able to share the gospel with who accepted Christ. You don't forget those people. You don't forget those who the Lord has given you the opportunity to lead to Christ. Maybe there's some of those here. Maybe for some of you, you're in the midst of people. You say, man, I've, I've been able to, to play a role in their, in their discipleship. Man, I was there to pray with them as they received Jesus. Maybe some are here today because you invited them. That's an exciting thing. And we should be about that. Maybe some of you have people on your hearts, those in the workplace, neighbors that you, you want to talk to. The Lord has stirred your heart to share the gospel with them and, or to invite them to church. It's a good thing for us to do. And when God answers that prayer, it becomes a wonderful blessing. Verse six, greet Mary who labored much for us. And we don't know the specifics of this Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. It was a common name. What we know of this particular Mary is that she worked hard. This word labored is the same word that was used of the disciples when they fished all through the night. It also speaks of of a very physical labor that they, they sweat, they, they gave themselves to it. And, and here it is, she's known for how much she invests in the church, how much she gives of herself for the body of Christ. Verse seven, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. These two here, as, as Paul refers to them, fellow prisoners, they were either imprisoned at one point with Paul, they were, they were there in prison together, or as is more likely, they also were imprisoned for their faith. They had similar experiences in this way. Paul calls them apostles, and, and they were not in the true or the first sense apostles in terms of those who were directly under the teaching ministry of Jesus, who were with him and selected for apostleship, but rather they fulfilled the, the more broader definition of apostle in that they are messengers. They are those who are led by the Spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. These were passionate people who Paul said, man, they knew Jesus before I did, and they've been faithful. Verses 8 through 11 greet Amplius my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Aristobulus, amongst many names here, and there's little bits that we might know about some of these other individuals. Stachys, for example, is included in extra-biblical texts. It's believed that uh, there is a... Uh, uh, sort of a royal family, a document that his name is listed in. We have, we have little bits and, and pieces about some of these folks and, and others. There's, there's more information. Aristobulus, it is believed, is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Think about that for a moment. Here, Paul is writing to a church in Rome, and he says, he, he says here, the household of Aristobulus, Meaning that there are people within this home that are following Jesus that are part of the fellowship, and there in Aristobulus, this household is the grandson of Herod the Great, the same guy who killed his sons, who murdered one of his wives, and who gave the edict to kill all, all of the boys in Jerusalem under the age of two. He was not a good guy. It's it was it's been said that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's house than one of his family members. And here Paul's writing to his grandson's household. Isn't that awesome? And then from there is mentioned, the next name is Herodian, no doubt of the family of Herod as well. And what we begin to see here then again, we look at these different names, so easy for us to just kind of pass over some of these people and not consider their backgrounds, what they did, where they came from. And in this case, to see the impact that the gospel can have in changing the trajectory of a family for generations. Maybe there's some of you sitting here today, and if you think about your father or grandfather or great-grandfather, you find yourself equally saying, man, they were a wicked person. They were not good. Maybe there's bad memories. But yet you're sitting here this morning. You've come together to worship with the body of Christ. Or maybe there's some of you who you think back, and you find yourself going, praise God, my grandfather loved Jesus, and it made a difference in my family. And so here you are today. Imagine the stories that they would tell. Imagine talking with, with members of this family as they reflected on Herod and, and the things that he had done, but yet to now declare to others that in Christ, they're a new creation. That relationships have been reconciled and restored. What a blessing. And these are the people that are coming together. Verse 12 and 13, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. This first one, verse 12 here, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Those are two awesome names. I think that these are probably twin sisters. Their names mean dainty and delicate. I told the first service, if these are dudes, <laughs> man, they were tough as nails, no doubt about it. Some of you are familiar with the song, A Boy Named Sue, right? If, they, if it was two guys named dainty and delicate, man, they, they fought their way through life, right? So I don't think it was. I think these are two girls. And though they're dainty and delicate, man, they labored in the Lord. I said, that's not going to stop us. Persis is believed to be a, a woman here as well. And then Rufus. Rufus was a common name during this time. However, it is believed and most agree that this Rufus and his mother were of the family of Simon. Simon the Cyrene. If that name isn't familiar to you, that's the man who was compelled to carry the cross of Christ on his way to Calvary. Simon, I was just there to celebrate Passover, right? He was just making his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and has a life-changing encounter with the true Passover lamb. And if this Rufus and his mother are indeed of that Simon, well, their lives were changed that day as well. And Rufus' mother here, it appears Paul says, she's my mom too. Why does he say that? It's because she loves me. She took care of me. There, there was apparently an opportunity, a time in the past where this woman took care of Paul. We know who Paul was. He was a persecutor. He sought to destroy the church. Yet the very woman... Whose husband carried that cross, helped Jesus to Calvary, would take this man in to a degree that he would call her his own mother. Guys, this is the body of Christ. These are the relationships that, that Paul says, this is what our, our, our gathering is to be marked by. Verse 14 and 15, greet the Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Some suggest that they're, they're together, they're in communal living. Greek Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus, and all the saints are with them. There's several Greek names there, more women mentioned as well. And, and thus we see here this being just a portion of the church in Rome. This is just this is just one small representation of the capital C church, no differently than Calvary Chapel Northeast Columbia today. Yet we see here the great diversity amongst the body of Christ. And 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 for Paul, what joy he had as he writes to them and considers them. And and, and thirty three names here mentioned, and, and some of these people he hadn't even. We believe met them all personally, but had heard about them. I, he didn't have Facebook; these weren't Facebook friends. Okay, there was no little like messaging system. I mean, think of the work that involved staying in tune with and knowing what was going on with people. That's why I think it's such a shame today. We fancy ourselves to be so connected, and we are not. Please do not believe that lie that we are so, such super connected people and we know all these things and know all these people. No, we don't. This, this is the way in which we get to know people. And not just this, but the way in which then this group breaks up into smaller groups and connects and spends time fellowshipping with one another. This is where community is understood and known. He loves these people. And he desired for them to love one another. He desired for them to show affection to one another. As he writes in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, certainly this would have been a way in which Paul would greet them when he came to them as he intended to do, but he is instructing them to do the same to one another, to greet each other. And this is a verse, verse 16. Nobody says, nobody says their favorite, their life verse is Romans 16, 16. This is a verse that makes most people uncomfortable. They're like, oh, a holy kiss. Really? I don't know about that. And some of you don't even like the, the Christian appropriate side hug, right? That even, you know, you're, or it's awkward. And, and so you're like, kissing? Are you kidding me? Have you heard of COVID? And, and, and here's the thing. I think it's okay when we come to verses like this. I do think it's okay for us to use a cultural lens here. I'm not advocating today that we implement a policy of holy kisses in the church. And some would say, well, that's wrong. It says it right here. I think culturally it's okay. We've all been to different parts of the world where we know greetings are a little bit different. And you kind of go with what's appropriate in that particular area, right? You went in Rome. I know for me, the very first time that I ever met Ashley's grandmother, who's since gone home to be with the Lord. Here it is. I'm coming to a family function. I've never met her before. And And she's a sweet little lady and I bend down to give her a hug and wham! She kisses me right on the lips. (laughs) Now listen, I come from a very good German family. Where we can just sort of stare at each other. And we know what's been said, right? (laughs) This is very new to me. But man, I knew she loved me from the very beginning. And so I knew from that time on, That every time I saw her, pucker up and get ready. Nanny's kissing me, right? It's a good thing. That's the way she showed affection. The question would be for us as the body is, do we show that? If people are to know us by our love for one another, well, yes, that love is often demonstrated sacrificially, Yes, maybe somebody knows you love them because you show up with a truck on moving day. That happens a good bit amongst the body of Christ. But what about in the in the gatherings each week? What about when somebody walks through the door? Do you, at least in your way, know how to communicate to that person? I'm excited to see you. I love you. I care about you. We ought to. Because we are connected, once again, a point that should be overstated or stated regularly. We are connected by the blood of Christ. The relationship that we know, Christians, was bought with the price. with an ultimate demonstration of love. So when we see one another like Paul in his heart who longs to see these people, do we have that love for one another? And this unity that Paul is describing here, that he's been describing now for, for the better part of a few chapters, it's a unity that must be protected. He writes in verses 17 through 20. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. It seems that in reading this here, Paul takes a little bit of a dark turn rather suddenly. Here there's these wonderful greetings and greeting each other with a holy kiss. And all of a sudden we're crushing Satan under our feet. It's exciting, but it shows here the passion that Paul has to say, look, we're going to defend this. This is something that's so special, so unique, that it needs to be preserved, it needs to be protected, it needs to be defended. Now, when Paul uses the word simple here, what he's really saying here is that it's sincere or it's innocent. He says, don't don't let the, the hearts be deceived of those who are innocent. Unity can happen around the truth of sound doctrine, and it must. One of the things I'm increasingly encouraged by as the Lord has grown this church and brought new families to the church, the opportunity I have to to meet and interact with people is is a passion for sound doctrine, people who know the word. That's an encouraging thing as new people are coming in because this is something that we're called to defend against and protect. For as much as we are, yes, to bear with one another, to... uh, To consider those weaker in the faith as we looked at what it means to exercise Christian liberty. To, as I've said myself, focus on the main things. Keep the main things the main things. Listen, when those main things come under attack, when someone is seeking to subvert those things, we must act against it. Paul, in writing to the church in Galatia, writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And and it's with those words that he's addressing the fact that they've turned away from the truth of the gospel. They're looking to a, a, a different gospel, a false gospel. And there are those who come into the church and they come espousing oftentimes their pet doctrines, these things that they really like to harp on. And, and they come in wanting to share their supposed enlightened perspectives on things. And they start to work their way into different groups. And oftentimes these individuals have gone from church to church to church. Because they're just looking for a little following. They can't handle not being in charge. They often place emphasis on the wrong things. Overly legalistic. And in time it, it becomes clear that they're really denying. Though not outright the foundations of the faith. And Paul says specifically, watch out for them, avoid them, and be wise. Don't get caught up in all of that. And so in as much as we will pursue unity amongst the body of Christ, that may also mean kicking some folks out who bring division. We have to understand that. We need to preserve that unity. And so I think then Paul realizes like, okay, went on a little rabbit trail there. It was kind of intense. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He's going to bring it back in a little bit here, right? And it's at this moment then, it's kind of exciting because as he's closing out the letter, it's almost as if here the people that are with him, the guys that are there in Corinth with him are like, man, I want to say hi. You ever, you ever been with somebody and they're on the phone with somebody you know, you love, and you're in the background, you're like, hey, tell them I said hi. I think that's what happened here in the letter. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow were, I think Timothy's like, hey, tell them I said hello. And Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my countrymen, they greet you. Is we're all here. We all love you. And verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Now, if that verse confuses you there, what we need to understand about Paul and how he wrote his letters is that he dictated his letters. And so here's a guy, Tertius. You know what his name means? Three, he's likely, at least at one time, was a slave. Yet here he is, the one who's penning the epistle to the Romans. Paul's using him, working through him as he writes this letter. And Tertius says, I'm the one writing, and I say hello as well. Consider the group of people that were gathered together in the name of Christ. And so if you envision Paul sort of by himself there, you know, laboring through the letter, writing, sorry to burst your bubble, but I think it's pretty cool to think and even envision him dictating it. Say, oh, write write this. And maybe to say, Tertius, read that back to me. Well, that sounds good. (laughs) I like that, right? Keep that in there. Romans 12, 1 and 2, no doubt, right? <laughs> say it again, say it again. I, ooh, yeah, Holy Spirit was moving on that one. And so here, they're giving their greetings in verse 23, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. And guys, for church to church, right? To know that we're a part of that, that we're, we're, we're a part of the capital C church. It's kind of a, a thing we say, right? But it's the truth. And you know that wherever you go in the world, it's, it's, that, it's that way in which friendship is formed. I've had the privilege and the blessing of going to different parts of the world, as many of you have, in every single time, no matter where you are, no matter how sketchy the place may be that you seem like you're in, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I've been in parts of the world before where I thought, Lord, if, if this one person I'm with who's guiding me right now decides to leave, I'm done for. I don't know where I'm at. This, I, like, I felt like I was at the ends of the earth language barriers, everything else. But man, we could identify that we both knew Christ. And when that was established, when that was known, it was like, I'm, I'm home, I'm okay. It doesn't matter how, how scary the environment that I'm in currently may feel. I'm okay because I'm with a brother in Christ. There's a bond. And so there's an excitement here as he says, the, Lord, the grace of our Lord, or excuse me, Guys, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city. So here, Tertius, likely a, a slave who's penning it, but then the treasurer of the city is there in the same group, and they're all together. Greets you in Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36, a man approaches Jesus. You, you know this. And he asks, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why do I mention this here? Well, as we consider the law, like the Ten Commandments, for example, which five govern the relationship between man and God. It's the vertical And the other five govern the relationship between man to man. That's the horizontal. So here in Romans and and certainly there in Matthew 22, Jesus declares that that's what it is. that, That we can simplify it. We can boil it all down to love God and love people. Love God and love people. And certainly here in Romans, we have the same pattern. For 11 chapters, we learn about all that God has done for us, which should prompt a response, a love for him. And as we love him, then we begin to love other people. That's what it's about. Friends, we're called to love people, to love one another, to be in relationship with one another, to know each other, to care about each other, to be affectionate, to serve one another. And finally, Paul closes it out by ensuring that we understand who it is that can do that work amongst us. I'm going to pause here at this point because as I mentioned at the beginning and as I read at the beginning, I want to close this out with these last Three verses, but I think they will serve us well in our partaking of communion today. And so I'm going to pause here and I'm going to invite the worship team to come and to lead us in song to give you the opportunity to come forward and receive the elements, to return to your seats and in prayer with those around you or on your own, continue to worship, just to ready your hearts. And then we'll look to Paul's benediction as we take together and close. If you would, just agree with me here now in prayer. And I'd invite our ushers to come forward to release the rose as well. Father, we we pause here this morning, Lord, and we give you thanks once again. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what it is that you have done in birthing your church. We look back, Lord, and consider all the ways in which, Lord, you have demonstrated such incredible grace and mercy towards us, chief of which has been saving us, Lord. You died for us. And, Lord, we know and we praise you that we are working That you are working, rather, Lord, in us here now. You're moving even here in our midst. And that, Lord, there are promises yet fulfilled that we have to look forward to. And, Lord, in in all of this, Lord, you have assembled the church, the body of Christ, to be used by you to reach the world. What a gift, Lord. What a blessing that is. And so, Lord, here now, if not already, that you would, in this remaining time, Lord, ready our hearts to partake of communion together. That we have we've considered as we've studied your word. Would would recognize, Lord, the blessing, the gift, that is being in fellowship with other believers, and and to to partake of your body and blood. To fellowship in that way, Lord, is truly beyond our understanding, but we know that it's it's special, Lord. Or this isn't just happening around you know, random parts of our community here this morning. This is happening amongst the gathering of believers, amongst your church. This is special. This is sacred. So, Lord, I just ask that you would move in our remaining time together here, Lord, as we partake together as the body of Christ, that we would continue, Lord, to experience the unity that you desire for your church, that it would be pleasing to you, glorifying to you, that it would serve, Lord, to reach a world who's lost. And so, Lord, bless this time. Pray that it's pleasing to you. Just work in our hearts here now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure that you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, Be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.